Hello listeners, welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 113. Welcome to day number 746 of my pandemic quarantine. Soon to be over. Maybe. We'll see. Depending on how you count it. I am going to Boston, Massachusetts next Friday to see Mercury Rev at a new club called Roadrunner. They are opening for the Brian Jonestown Massacre. The Brian Jonestown Massacre is also playing down here in Chapel Hill a few weeks later. And Mercury Rev was supposed to come along, but they're not, which is very upsetting. I've seen both bands every decade since the 90s, and uh, it's very hard to see Mercury Rev. I've seen every tour they've ever done in the United States, which, considering many of them are only like five dates on the West Coast, is pretty impressive. It's been very hard. Um, their Boston shows, the last two tours, they've played headliners. They played Sinclair last time, and... The time before that, they played The Paradise, and those are both great shows. Um, their first show in Boston was opening for Mercury, or I'm sorry, for My Bloody Valentine on the Loveless Tour in 1992, which is one of the greatest shows I've ever seen, the two bands together. And so I've just never missed them. I had to go to L.A. one time. I had to go to Austin one time, uh, Coachella one time. <laughs> it's been hard. It's been hard, but I've managed. New York obviously made it easier. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, in May... Emma and I are going to Boston and Salem for two weeks, almost three weeks, a week up in Salem and a week in Boston, uh, getting two different Airbnbs. It's going to be really exciting. My friend Annie lives in Salem and I haven't seen her in a long time and we're going to be up there. We'll be up there for World Goth Day, which is very exciting. Uh, I got to go. I may have. Did I tell you all this last week, two weeks ago? I don't remember, man. Anyway, I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a great trip. You'll hear all about it, but that's coming later. Um, of course, all of that is assuming that uh, BA2, the new variant of Omicron, doesn't, you know, screw us all up. We will see. We will see. It's getting to be summer. We'll be outside a lot. I'm, 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 I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Uh, in more sad news, uh, Emma's uncle, a.k.a. Janet's brother, Ed, passed away this week. Uh, Janet, of course, my mother-in-law, she lives on the property, so this is, you know, really relevant to our lives. Uh, There's a good chance Emma and Janet will be going to his funeral on Monday up in Rhode Island, so I'll have to watch Jane on my own. It's a whole thing. It's very sad. I've only met Ed a couple times. I met him like three times. I liked him a lot. He was a bit of a weirdo, a bit of a recluse. He lived alone with chickens and guns in a really nice workshop in the basement. You know, I'm sure our politics didn't align. I, 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 I studiously would avoid that sort of thing. But uh, there's something about him that I just kind of liked. It's, it's sad. And you know, Janet, of course, you know, your, your siblings start going. That's that's always really sad. So, so yeah, things been a little, little rough this week in in the web household, Webwell's household. But uh, things are being pretty good. Uh, you know, we had some friends over last weekend. Uh, Emma's old friend. The people that lived in this region when we moved here. The people whose house we stayed at the first time we visited the region. <laughs> they live in the suburbs. They live over in Cary. And uh, I remember we were leaving their house when we first visited. We were thinking about moving here. And I was like, I don't know, man. That house is very suburban. 
and we were driving back towards DC and then like 15, 20 minutes ago by it. I was like, on the other hand, it's really cheap and it's really big. <laughs> so we found a, you know, less suburban, more rural place to live, but they were a big inspiration why we moved here. And it's been great to see them. We didn't get, haven't seen them through the whole pandemic. Their kids have really bad allergies. They are coming, they're growing out of it. It seems, um, both kids uh, are a little bit older than Jane and they've been, you know, spending so much of the pandemic together that they've definitely got like sort of an insular play style and Jane felt a little out of place for a while, but they worked it out. And by the end they were all playing nicely. They gave her a hug when they left. That was really nice. Kids can be really nice when they're not, when they're being nice. I know they can be really mean as well, but so far, you know, lucky play dates. Jane's had a several pretty much every time I've talked to you guys in the last three or four episodes, she's had at least one play date and they've all gone pretty well. So that is uh, pretty exciting. It is Friday. Uh, I do not have today off, so I'm sneaking this podcast in during my lunch hour. Um, Emma and Jane are outside the door. They could pop in at any moment. My Slack is on. My email is on. I just finished a really long email for a work-related and Q&A kind of thing and sent it off, and there might be follow-ups at any moment. There's a lot going on, but uh, I have so many plans and ambitions for this weekend that I really just need to start clearing some things off the deck. You know, it's, 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 it's a lot. I'm a little stressed about it. Um, we got new power walls, so we got four power walls now, which is very exciting. They got installed last week. Maybe, I can't remember if they were installed when I last talked to you, but uh, they weren't inspected and they weren't turned on. Now they're inspected and they're turned on. Everything's active. Pay the bill. And uh, so, you know, the room they're in, we call it the box room. It's sort of the utility closet with the HVAC and the hot water heater and the electrical the server and uh you know it's a bunch of storage and we had to move everything away from them because for the inspection you know they had to be available couldn't have a table in front of them and all this stuff so the whole room's a giant mess i need to get that organized there's a bunch of stuff in there that we need to take to storage unit i want to get a i want to get a start on all of that today um yeah i just have a lot of i need to do this weekend and so i'm trying to get some stuff done during the work week because well, not because, not to say that I'm completely caught up in my work. If I'm being honest, there's a document I really need to write that I stalled on all week. It's really bad. Uh, we, we do these case studies with clients and like David, our head of sales, interviews the client to, according to a script on video. We worked out a good process for this, right? Because, you know, he's, he's the guy with the relationship and he's very good and chatty, but he's not really much, you know, he's not a writer. He's not much of a writer. He writes, but, you know. Um, so he writes he, or he does these interviews and he records them and then I take them and I listen to them and I transcribe like important points out of them. And then I take all that and I work it into a case study and I write the case study into sort of a master format. It's like a two page case study, you know? And then when it goes on to our product team and had a product, Kristen, who then, you know, repurposes that for whatever formats we might need, like on the web blurb on the website or go into our sales materials or our promo materials, put it on LinkedIn, whatever, all the different iterations. She now has this master document that I, I create to do that. So the case study interview happened. I got the transcript. I did pull out all the quotes. I've got that part done. That's usually the hardest part for me is like listening to the thing and copying and transcribing. Uh, I did that and I put all the quotes in order. All I really need to do is just write the document, like the, the sort of connective tissue that pulls all the quotes together because it's very good quotes, very good case study and probably would have taken me an hour this week, but I just couldn't do it, you know, like uh, I had doctor's appointments, we had the inspector come, we had like bats in the attic and we had to get like bat people here, like Ed died. It was just, it was too much this week, man. And uh, I got a lot of other stuff done. There was a lot of other work stuff that was going on, but like a lot of, like, I don't know, partner stuff and patent stuff and copyright and trademark and lawyer stuff and 
financial stuff. Jeez, just a lot going on. And so I just didn't get that document done. I really should do it this afternoon. Maybe I will. I've been say, I've been going through this like insane, problematic procrastination guilt K hole about this document every day. <laughs> It looks like I'm going to do it again today. And on top of that, I have a talk for the Miami Ad School next Friday. Uh, it's sort of their adult continuing education program. And it's a talk, one of, you know, it's like six week class. They get six different people from six different departments and an agency to talk about it. And I'm representing management, how like, you know, creative directors think you should think about management. It's a pretty interesting talk. And I have the notes, the outline ready, but I haven't really like prepped the talk. <laughs> it's so bad. It's on next Thursday. And I'm just like, these two documents are just, oh, like, hanging over my head. And I'm just like, I can't do it, man. I can't do it. Uh, so I'm doing this podcast and I'm going to reorganize a closet instead, apparently. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Anyway, health. Like I said, I went to the doctor this week. Uh, uh, basically, I needed to get my refill on the Wigovi because I'm going to run out. Yeah, mid-May and I need more and it takes a while to fill because the stuff is pretty hard to get still and will be gone in mid-May so I just got the whole process started and my doctor quit and I didn't have a doctor and the clinic was like we'll refill it but you have to come in so I came in and I got a new doctor you know they just gave me the first available person she had started in the fall she didn't really know my old doctor they didn't really overlap much but uh, she seemed cool, and we had a good talk, and she took my blood, gave me a flu shot, which is pretty hilarious because the flu season's almost over, and my arm now feels like ass, and I got really sick from it yesterday. But I am going out and starting to venture around the world, so I figure, like, all the protection I can get, right? <laughs> so I did that. I ran out of my allergy medications, and the allergy doctor was like took, like, five days to refill one. I have five different allergy medications. This is only one of them. So they refilled it, and then the, like, CVS is like, we don't have it. We can't tell you when we're going to get it get it and there's like an unending drama with that and then like every year I have to spend a hundred dollars on another EpiPen that they make me keep in my house because and they monitor whether I fill the prescription or not because of this other allergy medicine I'm on these customized drops and like so I had to do that and I actually just got delivered a few minutes ago there's been a lot of like doctorly stuff Emma went to the doctor the eye doctor I need to go to the eye doctor I'm going blind but, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get this stuff all squared away. It's been most of the pandemic. I, I went to the doctor early on in the pandemic, and it was really traumatizing. I can't remember why I went. I think I needed a blood test. Yeah, it was like right before the pandemic, I had gone on a statin for my cholesterol. And I was supposed to get a, a blood test in like April to make sure I was, mo you know, to, like a follow-up to make sure the statin's doing what it's supposed to do. And, you know, I stalled a while, but I think it was like June, I finally went to the doctor, and I, I, I'm sure I ranted about it to you guys at the time, but, like, they tried to weigh me in this little room, and it was like, I wasn't there for my weight, and I was just like, you know, they stand in this little room with you, and it's just so dumb. It's like a digital scale. Like, you could just get on it and come out and report your weight, but no, they had to, I was like, I'm not going in there. You don't need that. i just here for blood. <laughs> It was really traumatizing, so I hadn't gone back until now, and, you know, it was a lot better. Um, so, cool. I'm back on medical stuff. The diet's going well. They were very impressed. <laughs> she showed me my weight chart. It was hilarious. It was like, pre-pandemic, the diet, the big one that you guys, you know, I talked about when we first started the podcast, where I lost like 80 pounds. It's a straight down line on the chart. And then the pandemic weight gain is like this straight up line on the chart, and then my new diet is like straight down. It's like the most like intense zigzag of a weight chart it cannot be healthy <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
But yeah, it's going well. I really like this diet. It's chill. The, the Wagovi just makes me not hungry at night. So I just fast. And I, you know, I, I don't have any hard and strict rules other than that. Like, it's not like the other time. The other time was so hardcore and it was so stressful. And like, it was so hard to go 16 hours. And now it's just like, hey, I'm dieting. It's, it's definitely a little slower, but it's so easy and it's constant. And I'm just losing. And it's just like, yeah, all right, I can deal with this. A pound or two a week every week for the rest of the year and the other great thing for that visit was like i could be on the wagovi for like six or eight more months it seems like so i mean you know that's let's say seven months split the difference 28 weeks call that 30 more pounds that's fine that would be amazing i'd be perfect 30 more pounds and i'm good to go so yeah that's all going well jane is good uh her transition to potty training is like 97 percent complete now she is now routinely pooping on the potty has a little mistake here and there where she still wears nighttime diapers but uh no mistakes in her underwear so that's cool and uh she's doing good she says i can take care of myself a lot i think she learned it from one of her Khan academy apps i can take care of myself and in the app it was like an illustration of what's not true right the whole point of that episode in the app is to explain to the viewer the child that in fact we all need help but she took away the wrong lesson from it and now she says i can take care of myself all the time <laughs> and i'm like well you might you, you can't but you can but even when you can you need help but also none of us can take care of ourselves especially you because you're a kid but also you can yeah you go girl it's hard to really you know craft that message <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying. I'm trying. She's been drawing amazing kitty drawings. They just get better and better. I've been posting them, some of them in the Good Morning Hello, How Are You daily email. If you want to check those out, they're just quite nice. Um, yeah, still staying over at Janet's two nights a week. Uh, it moved this week because Emma and I both had doctor's appointments on Wednesday. So she stayed there one, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning instead of the usual Thursday. I don't know what's going to happen this coming week because I don't know yet. They're deciding this afternoon if Emma and Janet are going to Ed's funeral. But uh, by and large, yeah, that schedule works well. And it's really interesting. Even one morning off, like, I miss her that night. It's crazy. And it's really nice having two mornings without her a week. Like, because she really is a lot of work in the morning. I do it every morning. And, like, you know, now I have two mornings a week where it's like I can go to the store. Or I can get some other work done. Or I can catch up on some email. It's it's it, It's been really great. It's a better system than our old system where, uh, yeah, it's just a better system. So, very into that. Uh, work is good. Like I said, really busy. A lot of, a lot of documents. I'm writing a lot of documents. A lot of informational documents, white papers, stuff like that. A lot of... The demos, you know, phone calls, actually. I try to, you know, I don't, I'm not a big phone call fan, but I've been doing a lot of phone calls. Uh, got a bunch of people over at GDC this week. I kind of thought about going. I think, you know, if COVID had ramped off a little, like another week or two earlier, I probably would have gone to that or South by. I definitely had FOMO about people going to South by. I really wanted to go. So next year, maybe I'll go to South by. Uh, maybe I'll go to GDC. I haven't been to GDC since like 2008. <laughs> <laughs> seven something like that it's been a long time that was a fun time <laughs> gdc is a good time man uh yeah so work's going well everything's everything's pretty cool there um projects i finally made some progress on the spotify migration um i got like everything working i think and i have one playlist synced across both phones and my computer and it's into a library on my computer and apple music that is not the same library as all my local file music because i couldn't have both in the same library because i hit the itunes match limit because it doesn't let you sync your playlist without syncing your entire local files to the cloud which is so dumb uh so i have to use separate libraries and 
that took forever and it kept hanging when I would launch the new library with no music in iCloud Cloud, but I finally got it so that that didn't hang anymore. Then I synced the playlist and I have one playlist synced across all three. Now I have to sync like a hundred more playlists and it's very time consuming because when you sync it, you then need to manually fix any matches that don't work well. It, 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 it's hard, but it's working. So we're making progress there. I'm still very angry about Joe Rogan and them wasting, I think it's a hundred million dollars on naming a stadium in Barcelona instead of, you know, giving the money to artists. That's a little frustrating. You know, the artists could be your branding. They could be your advertising if they were happy about you. I don't know if that's ever crossed your mind, Spotify. But yeah, almost done with that. Uh, gardening is intensely intense. It's going great. Um, all the birdies beds are filled, which was a monumental amount of work. Uh, there are seven of them and one is a double. It's an extra large. So I think I did about 40 wheelbarrow loads across all seven of them to get them full. You know, five, all of them were like kind of half full. Uh, the two new ones, I, you know, I did that a couple weeks ago, filled them up with wood chips and branches and they're all full. I had to like mend and make the soil. Like, oh my God, it was so much work. And then they're mulch and they're water and they're ready to go. They're ready to plant. I'm very happy about that. That was so much work. So the next thing I'm doing in advance, because the last frost date here, average last frost date is April 7th. So can't, I can put a few things in the ground this weekend. I'm going to put my tomato, my, I'm sorry, my potatoes in the ground this weekend because you know, their seeds are underground. It takes them like a week or two to break the ground. So they'll be warm. And then, uh, my raspberry bushes and I think my strawberries I'll put in the ground this weekend because they can all kind of, they're kind of all frost tolerant. Um, but I, the next big thing I'm working on is drip irrigation because as you know, I'm going to Boston for two weeks in May and then I need to go to Alaska at some point and also we might go back to Boston to see Tears for Fears and I need to go to New York at some point and like watering these plants in the summer is so much work. So I'm really like trying to, Get it all automated this year. Everything's going to be on drip. That's my goal. Everything on drip. Everything on drip. Um, anyway, so I got started on that last weekend. I didn't get very far. <laughs> like from the faucet, you have to put an adapter, a timer, and a regulator before you even start your drip. And none of it can leak, right? And so it's like washers and faucets and leaking. is always just a nightmare. But I got it all working except for the regulator's a little off. And the timer I bought, there's this whole thing. Like when I first... Two years ago, when I first decided I was going to do drip, I watched a bunch of tutorials, and this guy recommended this timer by this company called Rain. I don't remember what they're called. And I bought it, and it, except for it was the height of the pandemic, it was really hard to find, and I got it on eBay. And then it turns out I bought So when I finally, you know, I didn't put the drip in for two years. I kept saying I would, but I didn't. And so last weekend, I finally opened this thing, and I'm like, all right, let's use it. And I, the first thing I noticed is the box has a US-EU boxes on the outside of the box, and you check one of them, and it has EU checks. So I'm like, well, that's not good. But whatever, I'm sure we can make it work with adapters or something. I don't know. Maybe they have a different standard hose size. It was unclear why that mattered. But then the first thing that happens, you open the box, I'm like, download this app, and I go to download the app, and like the app is just not in the app store. It's super weird. And it's not like a region thing, like because it has us as a checkbox and like I go to their website and it's like, download the app here and you click it. It's just broken. So I guess this company like went out of business or something. I don't know. It was a total nightmare. So I, but I really wanted to get started on the drip. So I just started putting assembly in anyway without a timer, or I think I might've even used this broken timer as a placeholder. And I had to buy a new timer. So I got a new one. It's called Eve garden. I got that. It will work with home kit. 
So I got to put that in this week and then I start doing this and I have to like drill holes under two sidewalks to run tubing through the sidewalks. I had to go to the hardware store to get PVC pipe and watch all these tutorials on how to like drill holes underneath your sidewalk. <laughs> it's going to be insane. I, that's what I'm going to spend most of this weekend doing. If all goes well, I hope we shall see. Uh, yeah, so that's a lot. And then next weekend, I'm going to go to Boston for that show. I'll be back Sunday. So I don't think I'll get a lot of gardening done next week. And that'll be the second, I think. So the seventh is like the Friday ish after that, uh, Thursday, Friday after that, I should take that day off. I think it's the eighth is Friday and the ninth is Saturday. Yeah. Cause that's Emma's birthday and we're going to see the magnetic fields that day. So I probably should take Friday off to get even more gardening done. Ugh, that'll be a podcast week too. Yeah. I'm definitely taking Friday off. Uh, so I'll fill you in on all that then, but you know, I got to get all this drip irrigation installed. It's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And then, uh, writing is going pretty well. Uh, you know, the book's selling, it's out there. It's pretty exciting. I've been shipping books out to people. That's been nice. I got a royalty check from agency. It wasn't very big. I think I officially make more money off of Trek than I make off of agency right now. I kind of think they might've ripped me off. It was a little unclear. They didn't include an accounting in there and it doesn't line up with like when I got paid last and what the sales say on Amazon. It's a little mysterious. I might do something about that. <laughs> That's on my to-do list. Uh, but yeah, it's going well. Um, you know, I'm trying to decide. I have essentially a second Good Morning Hello, How Are You book now. But I don't know. I mean, do I make a second one? Is the pandemic over? Do people care? It's it's a real dilemma. I just kind of stopped in the first year. I'm going to make a second one. I just decided that for sure. I don't know when I'll put it out. It's a little t- a little bit of a timing thing. But I think it needs to be done. So, but I'm not going to worry about when and when it ends or anything until this stupid pandemic is over, I guess. And it's unclear if it's over yet. So we'll see. I'm making plans like it's going to be good, but I don't know if we're going to be able to do them all. It's very frustrating. But that's not the writing. The writing's going great. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's what's going on with that. And if you haven't bought a copy, you should buy a copy at rickweb.net. Or on Amazon. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what's going on. Let's do the media report. Uh, didn't sell anything on eBay. Uh, I added two movies to Plex, uh, Matrix Resurrections. I bought the 4K Blu-ray, ripped it with all the extras. The extras are really good. They made me like the movie really more. Consider watching the extras of the Matrix Resurrections. Uh, and then I put a 1080p copy up of Wolf Warrior 2, the best-selling, highest-grossing film in China of all time. Uh, <laughs> I'm very fascinated with this film. Yeah, I learned about it in that book, Red Carpet, I read about the Chinese influence on Hollywood. And uh, this film is, the villain in this film is that guy that plays sort of the evil shield Hydra military guy in the MCU. And uh, the Russo brothers did like a, like a consulting on the script and the production and gave them a bunch of advice and they were offered a production credit and they turned it down because they thought it would be like a distraction and it wasn't going to do really well. And then like it literally grossed more than any movie ever in, <laughs> in China. It's like in the top 10 worldwide grossing films of all time. It's crazy. I haven't watched it yet, but I am very interested in it. It only did like $300,000 box office in America. Yeah, I'm going to look up these numbers. They're, they're just bad shit. 
All right, let's see. Second highest grossing film of all time in a single market behind Star Wars The Force Awakens. It exceeded North America's totals from Avengers Endgame, Avatar, Black Panther, and Titanic. It was the seventh highest grossing film of 2017, making it the 54th highest grossing film worldwide. So, it's the first non-English film ever to be included in the list of 100 all-time highest grossing films worldwide, making it the highest grossing non-English film of all time. Yeah. Wolf Warrior 2, man. Check it out. Russo brothers are just like, yeah, it's cool. We don't need a production credit. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes. Moving on. Uh, I only got one piece of vinyl. That's not true. I forgot to do the vinyl part. Oop. Actually, yeah, that wasn't true, but I did not get a lot of vinyl. Well, look at that. Go me. I'm so proud of myself. I only got three pieces of vinyl in the last two weeks. Uh, I got Oneida's Absolute 2. Oneida is a psych rock band from New York that I love and I used to see all the time at all tomorrow's parties up in uh, at Kutcher's in northern upstate New York. And I just used to see them a ton and now I miss them a lot. And I'm really into Oneida now and I wish I had watched them more. Uh, I got the Reverence promo 12 inch by the Jesus and Mary Chain because it has a mix on it that wasn't available anywhere else. And it was like two bucks, but I was like, I want that mix. I'm a Jesus and Mary Chain completist. So I got that, and I got uh, Miranda Sex Garden's first album, Madra, which is uh, available on Mute Records, and it was all acapella madrigals. Uh, Miranda Sex Garden went on to be a much more hard-rocking, sort of spiritualized goth meets the chain kind of thing. Uh, they're awesome. I really love their later period stuff, don't get me wrong, but their first album was just pure madrigals, and... Uh, I owned it on CD. I bought it when it came out. I always loved them. Uh, saw them a bunch. Oh my God. Sexiest show ever. One of the women in the band, Catherine Blake, went on to be medieval babes and sort of focused more on the medieval stuff. But this first album is just three ladies singing madrigal music, and I really love it. And it really brought back some nostalgia for me. So yeah, I got that on vinyl. Those are all pretty cheap. Excited to find a copy of that in America, though. It does not come up for sale very often. <laughs> and I got one CD, a band called Elegy, which was a... I think a one-off uh, live improvisation with Jessica Bailiff and Alan Sparhawk from Low and my old friend Mike Anderson, a.k.a. Drecka, purveyor of uh, Blue Saint Muzak, who's on tour right now. You should go check him out. But uh, yeah, I bought that from... No, I did not actually buy that from Cherry Kickers. I got that off of Discogs. So yeah, just you know, bought it, ripped it, put it back up for sale. Just a two-track noise drone in improvisation called Radio Broadcast by Elegy. I wonder if it was actually a radio broadcast. Hmm, not sure. Uh, I sold on Discogs my copy of Faith by The Cure. I uh, don't own that on vinyl. I really do should buy those. There must be some cheapish reissues of those Cure early albums on vinyl. I liked Faith a lot. I kind of miss it. Uh, Gravity the Seducer, an album by Ladytron. Uh, the Sunday's Blind... I want both those Sundays albums on vinyl so bad, and they're so expensive. They need to do another reissue. I don't want to buy originals. I don't want to spend $100 on a Sundays record, even though I love the Sundays. Leonard Cohen's The Future. I already own that on vinyl. Uh, Goldfrapp's Felt Mountain. That was a vinyl copy because I accidentally bought two, along with Cherry Glazer's Stuffed and Ready. Also had two of those. So got those sold off. Um, making good progress on selling off the accidental duplicates. I think I've sold like six or seven now. It's nice. Keeping my PayPal balance fat. So I don't feel bad when I buy things and pay for it with PayPal. It doesn't show up in my Quicken statements and make me feel bad. 
Uh, what else? Listen to a bunch of news and other stuff this last two weeks. Uh, my friend Megan in Philadelphia posted that she still listens to this album all the time, and it was an old album, solo acoustic album that our mutual friend Liz Nikrens made back in college. N-I-K-R-E-N's Liz Nikrens. It's called Unspeakable Crushes. Liz was a very good friend of mine in the Boston years. She had a great band in Boston, and uh. This I did not know about her solo folk career in the college scene. It's really good. It's on Bandcamp, and I really enjoyed it. It's kind of more like an Andy DeFranco thing than her more sort of sophisticated goth later band that I loved in Boston. But uh, that was nice to listen to. It was just nice to hear Liz. I miss her. She's great. Uh, and then I listened to Variety Lights, Central Flow, because... Uh, why did I listen to that? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was an album by David Baker. Dave Baker, the original singer of Mercury Rev, who first appeared on the first two Mercury Rev albums, Your Self-Esteem is Boses and Boses. I have been on a Mercury Rev kick because I'm excited for the upcoming show. And I was looking at Dave Baker. I was looking at all their Wikipedia pages, actually. And um, I don't know. I just learned about this album, and I never listened to it. I have the Shady album, the other Dave Baker post Mercury Rev project, but I didn't know about this variety lights thing. I apparently made it with some people in Chicago. I don't know. It was fine. I didn't really love it. It wasn't like Mercury Rev. It was kind of like a, some of the weird, more circusy songs on Boses, which were never my, my favorite Mercury Rev. Uh, Johan Johansson has a new posthumous album called Drone Mass. It's out everywhere and it's awesome. I love it. It's really good. Hannah Vu. Uh, new ghostly signing woman. She's awesome. She's got a new EP called Parking Lot that's up everywhere. I've been listening to that on repeat, enjoying it. It's kind of electronica, but it's got some guitars and stuff. It's almost uh, sophisticated, maybe like everything but the girl style or something. There's a new Bauhaus single today. I don't know what's up with that. I gave it two listens. Uh, it's pretty good. Kind of reminds me of the one, two, three, four bonus track on the end of Mask, <laughs> the exquisite corpse song. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The one that has the fish cake song? Take a fish and a potato. Hold the fish. My friends and I loved that song so much when we were kids. In your hand. Put the potato in the fish. Make it digest it. Ow. Smash it up. Smash it up. This is how you make fish cakes. I can't believe I'm singing the entire fish cakes Bauhaus song to you. Sorry. I'll stop. Uh, and there's a new Loop Loop album today called Son and Sea. Loop, of course, the 80s drone rock band from rugby, I believe. Uh, no, I think they were from a Hampton. I want to say Northampton, but I'm probably wrong. Uh, anyway, they're sort of one of the two leading lights of the sort of psychedelic drone rock movement of England in the late 80s that got really big. The other one, of course, being Spaceman 3. I've been obsessed with Loop for my whole life. Finally got to see him when I lived in New York at La Poisson Rouge. That was unexpected and amazing. They've been back together for a while. Um, they did spinoff work in the 90s that I was really, really into, including a band called the Heronskin Trading Company. They're just fantastic. But uh, yeah, there's a new loop. And I just it just came out today, and I just listened to it right before this podcast. And I'm very excited that there's a new loop. And it sounds like loop, and it's awesome. And I hope they tour again. I want to see more loop. Oh, my God. What if loop came to Cat's Cradle? That would be amazing. Spiritualize is coming to Cat's Cradle in the fall, by the way. That's going to rule. There's a new spiritualized song called Mainline Song, and it's awesome, and I'm very excited. The album's finally coming out next month. I can't wait. Mainline Song is so good. It makes me so happy. That's it for new music. I was not, I've not been listening to a lot of new music. I've been listening to old stuff on repeat. I listen to a lot of Mercury Rev. I listen to a lot of Dandy Warhols. I listen to Miranda Sex Garden a lot. I listen to Holy Fawn a bunch. 
that coil stolen and contaminated I bought two weeks ago. I've been listening to that a lot. Just been listening to my to investigate playlist over and over again. Um, oldies playlist. It's been nice, you know, just not pressured by new stuff for a little while until the spring releases start kicking in. So we'll see how that goes. TV though, man, for a while there was a glut on TV and it has really picked up. It's kind of out of control. We finished Star Trek Discovery season three, four, whatever it was. Uh, it got better towards the end. I didn't love it. I have problems with that show. I think it's deeply problematic in a lot of ways, but they did okay at the end. It resolved decently. So that made me kind of happy. Uh, and now I'm working on Star Trek Picard. Episode four just dropped yesterday. I am enjoying that. Uh, I'm enjoying episode Picard's sort of Star Trek for the voyage home vibe, including a wonderful cameo in last night's episode that was awesome. <laughs> uh, it's good. It's good. Uh, there are some problems with it. Like there are some plot motivation stuff I take issue with, and I take deep issue with the sun or the hourglass in the opening titles that make it look like the days of our fucking lives. But uh, all in all, and it, you know, it started in a way I was a little bit nervous about. Episode one was great. Episode two, I was like, oh no, this is gonna be a problem. But it's it's okay. It's good. I'm enjoying it. I think I can sit back and relax and enjoy this one. It's definitely better than the first season. I'll, I'll say that much. Uh, finished Rick and Morty. You know, I don't. I've watched all of Rick and Morty, but I'm just like, I enjoy it. And I can tell there's a lot there if you want to dig in. But I'm not wasting my time digging in on that shit. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so especially the last episode where they go all canon and it's very in knowing and tongue in cheat and they're like we're going canon i'm like i don't care i don't remember canon this is like five six years ago in my life you think i fucking remember this shit so you know watching it on a superficial level is fun you get there's still a lot to enjoy but you're like i know i'm missing a bunch but i don't care it's cool um Let's see. I don't think there was an SNL since we last talked to you guys. I haven't watched any more Raised by Wolves. I will get around to it eventually. Resident Alien. That's been a good time. The Alan Tudyk Alien is an alien living in Colorado show. I really enjoy it. Apparently they're having a mid-season break now we just hit. And it's going to be like months and months and months before the rest of the season. So that's kind of a disappointment. I was really into this season. And now I have to wait and forget about it. But it's it's been enjoyable. I like all the cameos by people from the Whedonverse. And it's not directed by Joss Whedon, so it all works out. Uh, Our Flag Means Death, the new Taika Waititi Reese Darby jam on HBO Now, a half-hour comedy involving pirates, is very satisfying and funny. I like it a lot. We will probably finish that in the next day or two. It's great. We are watching Severance. It's coming out weekly, so you know we're caught up, but it's very slow going. You have to wait a week for an episode. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome. It has a slight chance of going the way of Lost and going off the rails, but I think it's going to be okay. Um, It is unlike anything else I've ever seen on TV, and it's unclear if they can sustain that or if it's all a Potemkin village. But so far, it is delivering, and it is... It's very interesting and weird. Like, tonally, I mean, obviously the plot is just completely out there, but it's also tonally weird. Like, Raised by Wolves, the plot is completely out there. It's batshit, but, like, tonally it's consistent. This is not consistent tonally. It's, like, funny and terrifying and all these things. It's really quite an emotional roller coaster, which is very impressive on its own regarding the completely outlandish plot. Um, I'm just very impressed with it. It's good. 
Phoenix Rising. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. I watched this two part miniseries on HBO now about Evan Rachel Wood and her abuse at the hands of Marilyn Manson. And it was harrowing and terrible. And on top of that, don't look on Twitter after you watch it and see all these lunatic Marilyn Manson fans pretending the whole thing's fake really disgusts you with humanity. Um, yeah, it was hard to watch, man. Uh, I barbarian group did a, did some work for Marilyn Manson back in the day. I was not friends with him, but I met him a few times. We had mutual friends, Ben, especially this was all before he dated Evan. So, you know, he was with, uh, not Rose, uh, Dita when we were, doing this work and then completely severed that through a whole different group of friends. And I was visiting LA a lot and was going to move out there. I was hanging out with Twiggy a little bit, um, again, before all of this, but God, you know, like I just, I hate it. I'm watching it. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I kind of got a bad feeling about those people, but you can't really tell, but also I guess now you can. And like, I used to just ignore, I'd be like, well, these people are cool to me and not really think about how they acted to other people. And like, I don't know, it just really upset me. It really upset me to see like how people treat people that come forward. The whole thing is just very upsetting. And you know, it, it causes you to do a little like looking internally, but I think that like with the Marilyn Manson thing, it's also like very frustrating because like as a reformed goth, not reformed at all, I'm still kind of basically a goth. Like he was doing like kind of important work, normalizing goth and like removing the stigma and making people think it was okay. And that has happened and that's great. And he is largely to be credited for that. But at the same time, it turns out, oh, actually he was secretly being the devil. And so like people were right to like stereotype him, but that doesn't mean they're right to stereotype everyone else. And so like, it makes you even more disappointed in him on top of these horrific things that he did. Just horrifying. So much worse than you thought or you knew about it. It's just awful. So that was really hard to watch, but I felt like I should, and I'm glad I did. Uh, our flag means death, and then Upload. Oh, yeah, so Upload was a show that Emma and I watched and enjoyed like three years ago, a lightweight sci-fi comedy on Amazon Prime, half-hour show that was quite fun. No stars in it, really, just sort of like a funny take on the future, and we really liked it. And then, you know, it ended on a cliffhanger, and the pandemic happened, we forgot about it. But they did, seems like they finally managed to pull off a season. It's definitely like a half season, I think. Like, it ends in a weird place. <laughs> and it's an abbreviated season. It's fewer episodes than the one in the first season. But its abbreviation and cliffhanger on season two makes me think there should be more eventually. So that's good. I like it. It's a clever show. It's fun. It's clever. It's got really good gags, really good sci-fi dystopian future anti-tech gags. So I enjoy it for that. Uh, movies. Let's see. I rewatched No Way Home Spider-Man because Emma hadn't seen it. She wanted to see it. So we watched that and uh, it was better and worse the second time. The first, oh God, almost hour of the film is all just set up and it is kind of dumb and it's very much chess piece moving, which something is something that kind of annoys me narrative storytelling where you get the profound sense that the plots are unfolding the way they are because they have to unfold that way because they have an idea where they want the plot to be later. But in this case, all of that was worth it because the later plot is awesome and I'm glad they did it because it really delivers and they do the later plot really well. Sometimes you get a bunch of chess pieces to get some set piece that you, that you know they work towards and then you get to the set piece and it's not even that good. So you're like, why did you bother? But at least in this case, I understand why they bother and they did it really well. So by the end of the movie, you've forgotten how dumb the beginning of the movie is. And the beginning is really dumb. But it doesn't matter by the end. So, <laughs> so you know, it works. 
and then we watched Turning Red, the new Pixar. That was lovely. I enjoyed it very much. I had no idea what it was about going into it. And it was hilarious. And uh, since I've learned that people like don't like it because it gives parents a bad name and kids should respect their parents. And I actually view the movie completely differently. I view it as a bad parent movie. <laughs> the whole movie, I'm like, why is this parent so bad? Why do we have to watch another movie with bad parents? Why can't I watch a movie with good parents? And apparently there's a bunch of people out there that are complaining that the kid is bad and not the parents. So I guess, you know, they, they kind of found the nice middle ground, which is where you want to be. Ambiguity on both sides doing gender discussion, right? They did it well. Also, the music is by Billie Eilish and Phineas, and it's so good. It is perhaps the best send-up pop music in a film since Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, then we watched the Ali Wong new special, Don Wong, which was hilarious. <laughs> it's about marriage and infidelity and, and, and a lot of ejaculation jokes. <laughs> a lot of oral sex jokes is dirty, but it's hilarious. It was really good. I, I strongly recommend it. Uh, I, I am very fascinated at her marriage. <laughs> like she's just married to this dude that's like a VP of product at a tech startup. And he has to like, you know. Out there in the world is his wife talking on a Netflix special about how much she wants to cheat on him. <laughs> well, they seem happily married, and you know she really closes it at the end by extolling the virtues of their marriage. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, and then the other night we watched Licorice Pizza, which is now uh, engendering a lot of discussion in my daily emails and the comments on Facebook and whatnot about the the scene that people are calling racist, which is. Definitely a scene with a racist in it and probably ill-advised to have been made, but it is very, uh, it's interesting. Um, I've come around, you know, I knew going into it that people thought that scene was racist in its creation, not just the characters. And when I watched it, I was like, well, those are definitely racist characters, but I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt on the creation of the scene. But since then, like, I've been told a few things about it, like uh, how he's responded to it since it's happened, uh, like an Asian American friend of mine's experience being in the theater where everybody was laughing in a very like sort of malicious way to the scene there. I can imagine being uncomfortable. I did not find the scene funny at all. And then I were pretty much horrified through the scene, cringing and, you know, appalled. Um, and then like sort of there's two scenes and they're both played a little bit differently. And the first one's played less like explicitly racistly than the second one. Uh, and so you like start to like, it almost fools you and then lulls you. I don't know. It's very weird. So all that I've been listening and thinking about it and I'm trying to like sort of, you know, I, the one thing I know is that if I had made that movie and I was in a theater at a test screening and people laughed the way that my friend described them laughing at that scene, I would have pulled it. I think that's true. I, I don't think that like a bunch of people laughing in that way is healthy. Obviously, some laughter. My other, another Asian friend of mine uh, said, "You know, obviously, some people laugh when they're nervous or they're pulled or like to release tension." And I understand all that, but like, it doesn't sound like that from my other friend's description. So, I just feel like I would have pulled it, but you know, I'm not an artiste. And then the rest of the film was good. It was like a little disjointed, but beautiful. And like all the set pieces individually were amazing, and all the all the performances were really good. Um, it didn't quite gel, but I think that's okay. I kind of wish it didn't take place in L.A. Like it's a, you know, 70s growing up thing. I grew up in the 70s, so I care about that sort of thing. But uh, I didn't grow up in L.A. And the whole L.A. thing, you know, then it gives it a little bit of like a once upon a time in Hollywood feel or a La La Land feel that like takes away from the realism of it. Um, also combined with like the fact that he already sort of hit these notes a little bit in, in, in Infinite Jest. And 
you know, so then like I go into this movie, I'm like, well, this is like infinite chess. It's LA. It's surreal. And that kind of, one of the reasons that threw me off with the, the racist scene is because I was thinking it was played in this infinite just surreal way because it was early in the film and hadn't really established its tone yet. There's a lot. I've been thinking about that film a lot. Um, and there was no record store and there's no LPs. I don't know why it's called licorice pizza. I thought it was going to be like empire records. I'm confused. So yeah, and then books, uh, I'm just finishing it now, I'll finish it tonight, that book that I was telling you about last time, okay, this is how we're going to wrap up this podcast today, it's called The Future of Capitalism by Paul Collier, Paul Collier is a very esteemed economist working in the developmental economist space, economic space, which is the economics of developing nations, I'm sure he, he's very well renowned, very well known, very, uh, uh, you know, talented economist, but I think that talent uh, precluded an editor from editing him <laughs> because it is impenetrable. And when you do take the time to decipher its impenetrable prose, it is woefully inconsistent from an eminent critique point of view in the sense that like it is self-conflicting constantly. And it's just kind of wrong in a lot of ways. And it is very both sidesy, uh, you know, uh, in ways that I can be sympathetic to and, and unsympathetic to people that say, well, the middle, you know, like the middle ground, middle ground. I think there's some truth to that. The middle ground is a good place to be. But if you, if that was true in 1995, then that middle ground is now moved to the left. And you, if you don't factor that into your talk about the middle ground, you're not really talking about the middle ground in terms of a moral position. You're talking about the middle ground as an abrogation of moral position. And that's just like one sort of thing that was a problem with this book. I'm not, that wasn't the main problem with the book. It, it just sort of, it, it's a, even, I could probably craft like a good faith version of its arguments and I don't agree with them. But even on top of that, it's incredibly tedious and labor intensive to craft that position because that position waffles and it ignores major inconsistencies within its own position. And it, it, it's just problematic. And I don't care enough to like go take it down line by line, but I, I don't recommend this book. I read about it in an FT review that was largely positive and it convinced me to read it because they talked about uh, instituting a, this is a great example, instituting a crime called bank aside, right? Or bank slaughter, I think they called it. And the whole point was like during the financial crisis, nobody went to jail because of all the damage that they did. No bankers went to jail. And I'm like, okay, well that's true. But like, so now you're saying we should have a, crime called bank slaughter for the next time a financial crisis happens in that exact way or what? Like, what do you mean? What is the actual crime? How would that have solved anything back then other than throwing some people in jail? What does it prevent? And it, he couldn't answer any of that. He just didn't. It just, and so I read it thinking I was going to get this really clever policy idea and there was nothing, there was nothing. So yeah, you know, the fact that none of my friends or nobody else say anything good about this book should have been a warning sign. I feel very upset that I threw it in front of a bunch of other books I've been dying to read and uh, not recommended. So gonna move on. I'm gonna do Ellie Mistal's book about the Constitution next and then like five books by women that I'm very, very excited about. But we'll talk about those next time. Looks like I got away with it. No pressing emails came in or slacks from work. Thank you all for listening. Drop a line. Let me know how you are. And I will talk to you guys in two weeks. In the meantime, 
If you miss me, sign up for the daily email or buy the book. <laughs> Take care. Love you. Bye.